Good morning. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to, you guessed it, Ephesians chapter 6. I know you've all been waiting patiently for some time as we've walked through the book of Ephesians and then through chapter 6 and even now through spiritual warfare, but I'm going to ask you to wait with me for a little longer before we get to the armor of God. So I don't need to remind you what we've been talking about these past couple of weeks. It's worth reiterating. As we continue in this spiritual warfare series, we've looked at who the enemy is and how he attacks us. Now, I know it's much more interesting to talk about the weapons of war and what we can do in this spiritual battle, but it's imperative that we know the enemy. You know how many times wars, battles, even things like sports games are lost because we don't know the opposition. NFL teams spend one day per week playing in the game and six watching film. Why? Because they want to know everything about the opposition. How are they going to attack us and exploit us? Brothers and sisters, Satan's been doing the same thing for all of time, and he has one aim. Satan wants to destroy our faith in Jesus. He wants to separate us from God. Just being transparent, Satan knows that I'm going to be returning to college in a few weeks, where the bars are a walk away, the girls are all over campus, and the parties are any night you want them. And I'm definitely not comparing battles. We have teachers in here who are actively working in the trenches of spiritual warfare men and women alike who are going into workplaces that are now encouraging the ideas of homosexuality, gender transformation, abortion, and more, while actively removing Jesus and the church from the workplace. Though I, Satan does not cease to work his way into every aspect of our lives that he can. I'm not, th- I'm not stating that Satan is all-knowing. I wouldn't even go as far to say creative or clever. I don't mean to oversimplify Sean's sermon, but if we're being honest, Satan's been doing the same thing over and over and over for a long time. Satan lies. He's just been doing it for a very long time. I heard this said while I was preparing for the sermon, and I'd like to share it. We have a full-time enemy, and oftentimes we like to be part-time Christians. It's very easy to be Christians on Sunday and someone completely different throughout the rest of the week. It's easy to pick up our sword and run into battle without even contemplating putting on the other armor of God. We cannot be part-time Christians when we have a full-time enemy. We cannot be part-time soldiers. In the book, The Whole Armor of God, the author writes, the choice is not whether we will be Christian soldiers or Christian civilians. The choice is whether we will be prepared Christian soldiers or unprepared ones. I want to share one more illustration that may help us grasp the importance of understanding this spiritual war and its enemy. I'm borrowing this from a sermon by J.D. Greer, but he recalls a story from World War II. June 6, 1944, the largest seaborne invasion invasion in history took place, known as D-Day. Around 160,000 Allied troops approached the French beaches of Normandy. When later asked, some of the men who survived this battle recalled the messages they were given that day. Fight to get your troops ashore. Fight to save your ships. And if you have any strength left, fight to save yourselves. Some, some recall, it, we shall die on the sands of France, but we will never turn back. Others, this is it. You've got a one-way ticket. This is the end of the line. Over 10,000 Allied soldiers died that day and another five to 10,000 Germans. I understand that those images are very sobering and perhaps haunting, And I don't share this with you to say that we have the same sort of physical battle that will ask of us what it did soldiers on that day. But I do share it to say 
those soldiers had no delusions about what they were going into. They were not showing up for a day on the beach with sunglasses, shovels, and a towel. They knew that there was a vicious enemy, that the war was severe, and they came prepared. We must do the same. And so, as we finally get to the armor of war, I can echo the words of the Apostle Paul. Finally, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the evil schemes of the devil. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. If you haven't yet, turn to Ephesians 6. Turn past the Gospels, past Acts, Romans, Corinthians 1 and 2, and past Galatians. Following along in chapter 6, verse 14, there are a few different versions of this line, depending on your version of the Bible. I'll be referencing a couple different ones, but I'm reading from the CSB, which reads, Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. The ESV reads, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. The NIV, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And finally, the King James Version, which reads, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, whatever that means. The belt of truth. I want to begin with the metaphor, the imagery that we're given in this spiritual battle. I'm going to ask a question to which I probably already know the answer. By a show of hands, how many of you get prepared in the morning by putting on your belt first? Right? I mean, come on, Paul. I think you're confused, brother. But in all seriousness, Paul starts with the belt for a reason. You see, there are many benefits of a belt, the most obvious being that it holds up your pants. I'm really not trying to be funny, but could you imagine running into war while holding up your pants? How are you going to carry your sword or your shield while simultaneously holding up your pants? Additionally, it's no secret that the lack of a working belt is going to cause shame in the event of a wardrobe malfunction. Yet it's important to understand how the belt was used in the time the epistle was written. Not only were belts used to hold up the pants, but additionally to hold other articles. It's very likely that in this time, the belt would hold the sword when it was not being used. The belt itself is the centerpiece of the outfit. It's what pulls together everything else and holds it firm in place. The belt ensures that no other article becomes a burden rather than the article it was intended to be. Finally, it's important to note that the belt is not just an adornment. It's not a style choice made by the Christian soldier to impress other soldiers on the battlefield. In full transparency, I'm not much of a belt guy. I just soon wear a pair of pants or shorts that just fits me. I feel oftentimes that putting on a belt is an additional task that I don't really need to do. So I often do put mine on in more of a stylistic manner than a necessary one. However, the reality is that this world does not fit for the Christian soldier. And even if it did, the Bible never states if the pants fit, wear them. Jesus says it will not be easy. The Bible never says if they're too loose, leave them. Hopefully I haven't lost you with this metaphor, but ultimately this world is not meant to be ideal for the Christian soldier. And so God does say, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Therefore it is imperative that we use our belt with its intended purpose to hold together the rest of our spiritual garments and allow us to stand strong in the face of temptation and the heat of battle. To do so, we must have a better understanding of what the belt is and what it means for the belt to be truth. What is truth? Now, I know you guys are looking at me like, brother, I think you're here to answer that one. I wanna highlight three things about truth. First, there is only one truth. Second, the opposite of truth is lie. Finally, third, Truth exists whether we choose to believe it or not. 
We live in a world that quite frankly is reimagining the definition of truth as it chooses. In doing some research, I came across an article published by the Human Systems Dynamics Institute, an organization that explores how humans live, how they make decisions and more. The article stated that there are four different types of truth that are generally accepted. The first is what they called objective truth. Objective truth, they state, is a truth that is rooted in an object being physically proven without any opinion, bias, or personal preference. An example of an objective truth would be that the sun produces heat. Whether we'd like it to or not, whether in abundance or lack, the sun produces heat. That's an objective truth. The next one listed was called a normative truth. Normative truth relies on people as a group to collectively accept it. An example would be that the dollar bill is acceptable currency. You can't physically prove it, for you could just as easily rip it up or burn it and consider it trash. Many other places don't accept dollar bills to be currency, but for a large group of people, the normative truth is that dollar bills are legitimate currency. The third type of truth is what's called subjective truth. The article defines subjective truth as, quote, how an individual sees or experiences the world. An example of a subjective truth would be that ice cream tastes good to me. You can begin to see how mixing up certain truths can become dangerous. Finally, we have what they called complex truth. This truth they stated acknowledges all the other truths and allows for the best outcome to be reached based on how you wanna go about the situation. Once again, you can see how damaging this might be. I'd like to read an excerpt from this article which perfectly reflects the issue. They state, you only get into trouble if you get mixed up and claim one kind of truth is another. For example, if I make my subjective truth into an objective one for you, then I will generate conflict and confusion. If we impose our normative truth as if it were subjective truth for every member of our group, then we become oppressors. If we demand that the objective truth determine subjective truths for all, then we deny voice and choice to individuals and groups. Now, I know that's a lot to digest at once, but to take all of that and shorten it, we can understand that if we accepted these four kinds of truth, then the ability of them to hold would hinge upon everyone using them correctly and not switching between each type. I believe that the final issue mentioned is what we see in the midst of many spiritual battles. We live in a world that no longer accepts the objective truths of scripture, but rather implies that they are subjective truths of certain individuals. For instance, the statement, God is creator, is no longer viewed as, as an objective truth, but as a subjective one that you can believe, but shouldn't ask others to. We see immediately how imperative it is to understand what truth is and how it applies in our lives. So what does the Bible say about truth? After all, that should have the final say, right? I believe it can be summed up with one simple verse, a verse in the Gospel of John straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus states, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Brothers and sisters, there is no other truth. This world has put so much of an emphasis on speaking your truth. Brothers and sisters, the heavens and earth were not created by your truth. The earth does not spin and the sun does not rise upon your truth. Your truth does not declare morality or righteousness. There is only one truth by which all else is declared true or false. The truth is found in Jesus. Have you ever looked up the definition of truth? It's one of those words that really can't be defined without using the word itself. Any definition you look up will look something like the reality of what is true or the existence of what is true. The Bible tells us that truth isn't an idea, it's a person. C.S. Lewis wrote in one of his books, 
There is but one good, that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him and bad when it turns to him. I find the same is fitting when we, we replace good and bad with true and false. There is but one truth, that is God. Everything else is true when it looks to him and false when it turns from him. Another way of saying this would be to say that anything of or from God is true. Anything that God is or says is true. Any detour from that is not. How can we confirm this? Like all effective answers, we must turn to scripture. Throughout the biblical story, we can see many different instances where the Lord is truth. Truth created, truth personified, and truth determined. I begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Brothers and sisters, it all begins right here. You see, the very first thing we're told about the existence of everything is that God created it. If, in fact, we're willing to believe that God created everything, then when he tells us he is the truth, we will believe it, which allows us once more to believe that all things of and from him are true. So I continue. We see that God creates a world of beauty, of majesty, and of complexity, culminating in his image bearers, that being humans. I want to state right here a significant point of battle that rages in our world today. God created man and woman. He created man and woman both, and that is it. These creations are directly from the source of truth. There is no other truth. And these are just a couple of the truths we find in the book of Genesis. There are many different truths about God, about his people, and our relationship to him throughout the Bible. Additionally, we have the most important truth in all of creation, that Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world, lived a sinless life, died in our place, taking the wrath of God for our sins as an atoning sacrifice, and then raised from the dead three days later, defeating sin and conquering death. All things that look to God are true. Anything of or from the one source of truth, God, are true. Moving along in scripture, we see the enemy, Satan, come to man as a spiritual battle begins. Brother Sean spoke in length about the enemy's strategies last week, but as I stated earlier, I would argue they can be summed up in one strategy. He lies. That's what he does. He lies about God. He lies about the world. He lies about you, your relationship to God, your relationship to others. I'm going to turn back to my earlier words from the C.S. Lewis quote that I gave a bit of a twist to. There's only one truth, that is God. All things that turn to God are true. All things that turn away from him are false. Is this not what Satan did? Brother David spoke on the enemy two weeks ago, and we know from the book of Ezekiel that Satan was an angel of God. However, he turned from God. When he turned from God, he fell from heaven and never turned back. Satan continues to believe in and tell lies today. The opposite of truth is a lie. So it's no wonder that one of our largest vulnerabilities in this spiritual battle is defending against Satan's lies. In the Garden of Eden, Satan came to Adam and Eve and began to twist God's words. Satan says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Adding, no, you will certainly not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. I have to imagine that if their belt of truth was fastened on around their waist, they may not have been caught unprepared. They could have turned to their sword, which is the word of God, and using the word of God, refute the devil by saying, God said you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
We know that this is the way to do so, and we know that it works because in the Gospels, we see Jesus do so. When tempted by Satan in a way that's rarely recorded in the Bible, Jesus responds by refuting the devil with God's word. However, that's not possible if he isn't based in the truth. In Matthew 4, Satan says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus knows that the truth is, first of all, God could simply do so, but also he knows that God provides for his people, that we don't need to take shortcuts to get to the outcomes that we deem most important or more pleasurable. Satan wanted Jesus and us to believe not that Satan himself could provide these things, but that you yourself can obtain them on your own. Let me be clear this morning, Satan doesn't need you to worship Satan. He just wants to turn you from God. And more often than not, that doesn't mean worshiping Satan. It means worshiping yourself or your money or your career. Jesus knew the truth that God provides. The truth guards him in this moment and allows him to use his sword, the word of God, responding with, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we want to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, we must take after Jesus and buckle the belt of truth around ourselves, allowing us to protect our minds and our hearts and use the other weapons as we should. The third point I'd like to make is that truth exists whether you choose to believe it or not. Let me repeat that. Truth exists whether we choose to believe it or not. I think this is a good time to call back to the four types of truth that my earlier source had described. I gave an example of what was considered objective truth, that the sun produces heat. And so we know that if you stand out or lay out in the sun long enough, you'll be burned. You can choose to believe many things about what has happened. Among others, you can choose to believe that simply you aren't burnt. Perhaps you believe that the wind burned you. Or my personal favorite, you aren't burnt, just tan. However, none of these beliefs changes the fact that the sun has burnt you. And so I'll take it a step further to where spiritual battles really rage on. There are many people who do not believe that God created the world. The gender is to be personally identified and changed if need be. There are many people who believe that homosexuality is perfectly acceptable, that pornography or premarital sex aren't a big deal, or that abortion is a right. And these are just a few of the hot topics where the underlying issue of spiritual deterioration has taken place. However, my point in bringing these up is to say whether you or anyone believes these things, the truth of God still exists. God created the heavens and the earth. God created man in his own image. Man and woman, he created them both. You've been remarkably and wondrously made. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God made him who, know, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So what do we do with the knowledge of truth? If we know that there is only one truth and it all stems from God existing in opposition to Satan's lies, whether the world acknowledges it or not, what do we as Christians do about it? To answer this, we must go back to our passage of scripture where Paul prepares us. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Brothers and sisters, we must fasten on the belt of truth we cannot lay it aside in order to take up a twisted version of the truth. We can't merely slide it through our belt loops without truly fastening it and allowing the truth to guard us in the heat of battle. The same way that a belt guards us from wardrobe mishaps, the truth of God guards our hearts and our minds and our mouths from spiritual deficiency. But what does it look like to fasten on the belt of truth? 
How can we easily understand the use of this article of warfare? I'll attempt to be brief, but I believe there are three loops that our belt must go through before being fully fastened in order to guard ourselves in battle. The first is acknowledging the truth. Acknowledgement lies mostly in believing and responding. We must understand what the Bible says about God and about our fallen state in order to acknowledge the truth that is provided. So when we come to the second loop, we begin to respond by speaking and proclaiming the truth. No one who hasn't acknowledged the truth will be able to effectively proclaim it. So I go back to the passage in Matthew that we read earlier where Jesus is tempted by Satan. Satan comes to him and attempts to turn him from God, asking, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And in responding the way he does, Jesus both acknowledges and proclaims the truth to refute Satan's lies. Jesus immediately quotes scripture saying, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus quotes this directly from the book of Deuteronomy. When in the midst of spiritual warfare, Jesus fastens on the belt of truth by acknowledging God's true nature and proclaiming that truth directly back at the enemy. The final belt loop we must maneuver is living the truth. Living in truth requires that we live in a way that reflects Jesus. After all, he is the truth. There is no truth aside from God. So we must act accordingly as we serve God and fight this spiritual battle. By acknowledging the truth of God that is provided by his word, by speaking and proclaiming the truth to others around us, and by living in a manner that reflects the truth of scripture, we can confidently fasten the belt of truth around our waist. Therefore, we can stand with truth like a belt around our waist, not falling victim to the lies that the enemy would have us believe, but believing in the one and only source of truth, Jesus. I'll leave us with a verse that is found in the Gospel of John, and once more spoken by Jesus himself. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and Almighty God, Lord, we, we come together this morning to hear from you the source of truth about all that is true in your creation. Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts with the belt of truth, that you would tie it and fasten it upon us, for we are incapable of doing so on our own. Lord, we cannot fight this battle on our own and we will not win, but we know, Lord, that you have defeated Satan and that our time is coming, that Jesus will return. Lord, I pray for anyone who has not put their faith in Jesus, that they would come to know him this morning both here and all around the world. And I pray for those of us who do know Jesus and who are following that you would continue to work in our hearts to follow him more closely. Father, I pray that you, you go with us as we scatter throughout our, world, uh, throughout our cities, throughout our state, throughout the country and world, that you would use the truth, that we would proclaim it to others and that you would be glorified. Yes. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.